Well, it's, uh, it's great to be here, except I'm leaving tomorrow. <laughs> so they, the, the session, uh, as we talked about this transition, thought it'd be fun if it was possible for me to come in June. And here, I'm here the second time in June. So uh, it's, been, it's been a wonderful journey, but I have to tell you, I've been running between pillar and post. And it's gonna be good to get settled in here and to be with you during this transition. Well, I want to go back in time with you this morning. And we're going to engage in what John Stott, one of my mentors, called double listening. Listening first to God's word as it comes to us through the prophet Jeremiah, to the Hebrew people of Jerusalem, and then asking God to give us a word, a word that applies today. So about 26 centuries ago, the Hebrew people were taken captive, and you know the story. It was the armies of King Nebuchadnezzar. They were carried off into captivity in Babylon, about 600 miles east of Jerusalem, in what is now modern-day Iraq. The stories that are told in Scripture and in the contemporary histories talked about epic suffering, homes, livelihoods destroyed forever. Many were killed or died on the journey. It was a time of great hardship, of being strangers in a strange land. And it was kind of a double despair because they also felt abandoned by God. They were in the promised land. Hadn't God promised them this land and this city, Jerusalem? So how were they supposed to live in this double despair? How should they manage their time? Should they resist their captors? What should they do with these prophets that were telling them this will only be a year or two? Well, God had never abandoned his people. He'd been leading them and speaking to them from Moses through all the prophets, and now he spoke again through Jeremiah. Well, both sets of my mother's grandparents came to the U.S. in the last quarter of the 19th century, and they settled in upstate New York, and they built Lutheran churches, and they worshiped and spoke in German. And that habit was still in full force when my mom was a girl, so she worshiped and spoke German fluently. And my dad also learned and spoke German. So it wasn't mandatory, let's just say it was encouraged that when I was in high school that I take German. <laughs> but I came to love the language. I went on, I studied in college, and I even took theological German in seminary. Uh, but my first favorite word in German is the German word sensucht. Sensucht. It's a German term that communicates all the longing that hum humanity has. It means yearning, craving, or longing. It's a way of saying something is intensely missing. There must be more. And Joe Puckett defines it this way. He says, it's the aching yet pleasurable, intense longing for a life that we cannot yet have, but naturally and universally crave. It's the feeling of having lost something that we once had, 
giving us a sense of homesickness and discontentment with the less than ideal world that we find ourselves in. See, all of us long for once what once was. It's built into our collective consciousness. It goes back to the longing that Adam and Eve had after they were banished from the garden. The Hebrew people longed for the promised land, and once they got there, they longed for the presence of God, except, of course, they fell into sin, generational sin. And they began to maybe realize, some of them, as the prophet spoke, that maybe this is not our eternal city after all. Now, it's easy for us to fall into the idea that this world, this place, is our eternal home. And in a place like this, I get it, right? It's beautiful. It's, it's majestic as you watch the clouds form in the afternoon in the summer over the mountains. But this is not our true home. It never was, and we are exiles too. So let's look at how Jeremiah speaks to people who are in exile, whether they're his own time or the, whether it's our time. There are, three, uh, there are three points in the passage. And if you want to turn off your minds at this point, just listen to the three points and then you can take a nap. So the first, first point is, in, starting in verse 4, we learned why the Jews were in exile. Second, in verses 5 to 9, we learned how they were to live as exiles. And third, we find out how the exile would come to an end. So why were they in exile? This is the message, and it's also from the message translation. From God of the angel armies, Israel's God, to all the exiles I've taken from Jerusalem to Babylon. The short answer of why God's people ended up in Babylon is that God caused them to be carried away. I have taken you. It wasn't Nebuchadnezzar. The prophet Jeremiah is telling the people that this message is coming directly from God. God of the angel armies. We normally see that translated God of hosts. Israel's God. And in the Hebrew, it uses the covenantal name of God, Yahweh. I am. So not only that, it is the Lord, Yahweh, the great I am, who is also the Lord of hosts. God is all-powerful. And that powerful God said to his covenant people that it was he who caused them to be carried away captive. Matthew Henry says, all the force of King Nebuchadnezzar could not have done this apart from the will of God. But why? Why did the promised land fall under the authority of foreign kingdoms who worshipped pagan gods and used brutal tactics to oppress the people that they enslaved? Well, the first answer in Scripture can be found in 2 Chronicles 36. All the leaders of the priests and the people transgressed more and more according to all the abominations of the nations and defiled the house of the Lord, which he had consecrated 
in Jerusalem. And the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them by his messengers, rising up early and sending them because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of God rose against his people till there was no remedy. They had no excuse. Moses had given them clear warnings in Deuteronomy 28. If you do not carefully observe all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear the glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other, and there you shall serve other gods. Well, that was then, and this is now. How does that apply to us today? I don't know about you, but I know that I'm not all that different. I'm a covenant breaker. I'm, I, that's my first confession before you. I'm a covenant breaker. Human beings have always lived on the earth as exiles because we've chosen to engage in the same sin that Adam and Eve engaged in. We thought we could do it on our own. The exile from the garden was caused by sin. The exile from Babylon to Babylon was caused by sin. And today, every one of us knows that we are only saved by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. We're sinners. We live as exiles. We are exiles longing for our real home. Well, how do we live then? That's what Jeremiah answers in the next slide. Go back. <laughs> go back again. There we go. So he, first, the first in verse 5, which don't, don't switch. Build houses and dwell in them, plant gardens and eat their fr fruit. And then go on. Marry and have children, encourage your children to marry and have children so that you'll thrive in the country and not waste away. Make yourselves at home there and work for the country's welfare. Pray for Babylon's well-being. If things go well for Babylon, things will go well to you. So let's spend a few minutes in that set of instructions for how to live as faithful followers of God while we're in exile. We're to build houses and plant gardens. We're, we're supposed to live and work in our Babylon. We're supposed to establish ourselves as members of the community. We're to become citizens of this community. We're to work there. We're to plant gardens and eat the produce, be laborers, earn wages, start businesses, and contribute to the prosperity of the land. And then we're told to marry, to have children, and give their children in marriage. They're to grow as a people in Babylon, just as we are called to grow in our exile. So these are not new ideas in the Bible. They're the cultural mandate from Genesis 1 to be fruitful and multiply. Being in exile doesn't change that original mandate. We've always been called as the people of God to carry out God's cultural mandate, but we're also to be people that are signs of the redemption of God, 
Jesus says we are salt and light to the world. We're to let our light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We're to exercise the cultural mandate and the redemptive mandate in such a way that God is glorified. That's what the exiles were called to do, and that's what we are called to do. But they're also called to pray for Babylon's well-being, for the peace of Babylon. The word here is shalom. It means not just the absence of conflict, but wholeness. It means peacefulness. It means prosperity. For as Babylon experienced peace, God's people would have peace. By praying and working for the peace of Babylon, they were to show themselves as faithful subjects of their conqueror. And as they did this, they built relationships like Daniel's. And you can read his experience as one of these exiles. And they did it because their faithfulness was rewarded when finally 70 years after they were taken into exile, after all those folks who had gone had died, their children and grandchildren were able to return as King Cyrus authorized the reconstruction of Jerusalem. So as exiles, we are called to pray and work for the peace of our nation. Matthew Henry explains it in a sentence. Every passenger is concerned for the safety of the ship. We're on a ship, the good ship USA, and we pray for it. We ask God to bless it and prosper. We're good citizens. My first American ancestor, Jacob Baer, was a Mennonite. He and his family were fleeing persecution in Switzerland. They were afraid for their lives. And finally, they got to Germany and onto the good ship Priscilla, and they prayed for the ship. And they blessed it before they took their journey. Now, they prayed for the captain and the crew and all the passengers, regardless of what their faith or religious background was or their nationality. They prayed for everybody because in that ship was their life. So they prayed for it, and they prayed for the people on it. And we're called to pray for our nation as well. There's wonderful examples in Scripture of being faithful dual citizens of the kingdom of God as well as the kingdoms of this earth. Joseph ended up as second in command to Pharaoh only to be used to save Egypt from starvation. Daniel was elevated after his captivity in Babylon to be a ruler and chief administrator over the whole nation. Esther became queen and was used by God to save the people of God from annihilation. And Paul was a citizen of Rome, praying for the emperor and teaching us to pray as well. Jeremiah goes on to tell the people of Judah in our next slide, to ignore the false prophets. For these prophets are not speaking the word of God, he said. 
Don't pay any attention to the fantasies they've come up with to please you. What Jeremiah is really saying is have discernment. Pray that you would listen to truth, to Scripture, and not to false prophets who promise things that will not come to pass. And today we must have discernment to listen to God's word and not the false prophets of our own age. Now, the truth is we're going to fail. We're going to do this imperfectly. We all fall short. The covenant people of God were not obedient in Jerusalem, and they certainly didn't live in perfection in Babylon. And yet God speaks a word as we close this passage of good news, of God's grace. In the next slide. This is God's word on the subject. As soon as Babylon's 70 years are up and not a day before, I'll show up and take care of you as I promised, and I'll bring you back home. I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out, plans to take care of you, not abandon you, and plans to give you the future you hope for. This is my third and final point. God had fixed a time for the end of the exile. And he came through with his promise. Daniel 9 verse 2 echoes this prophecy, saying that after 70 years, God's people will return home. But the real end of the exile is found in the promise of verse 11, which is not on a slide, so you'll just have to listen. For I know the thoughts I have toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil. This future and hope, this sense of God's peace, his shalom, was more than a sense of peaceful existence in a rebuilt Jerusalem. They rebuilt the temple, they rebuilt their, the houses and the city itself, but peace didn't last. 600 years later, the Roman Empire sent an army, and Jerusalem was destroyed. And if you go to Jerusalem today, all you will see that's left of the temple is the Wailing Wall. You see, the only true and lasting peace is peace with God. The only true and lasting peace comes when we recognize that God's purposes will always prevail. God is a God certainly of judgment when his patience finally runs out after centuries of watching his people break the covenant. But God keeps his covenant of grace. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, as his final answer to the problem of sin. So in conclusion, Jeremiah says in verse 12, then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. That was their future and hope, listening and following God again as Jeremiah and Moses and all the prophets had taught them. But their future and hope would ultimately be found in Jesus Christ, whose death and resurrection would bring eternal peace with God. Jesus is the one who cleanses us 
and makes us pure so that we can enter into the very throne room of God. So no matter what happens to us in our own lives, in our families, in our church, our community, in our nation, and in our world, we know we can have peace because of God's grace in Jesus Christ. The exiles had a sure hope promised by Jeremiah. They would return to Jerusalem one day. But our true hope is no earthly city. It's the new Jerusalem, Revelation 21. Now I saw new heavens and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, no more pain, for the former things have passed away. So as we enter into this season of transition, or as you continue in it, and I enter it with you, God's word to us is clear. There is a future and a hope as we work together in the power of the Spirit, as we keep in step with the Spirit together. So let's join as fellow exiles. Let's live out the teaching of Jesus here in Boulder and its surrounds. Let's do the mission of bearing witness to Jesus. And let's do it in faith until that day when God will gather his people from all over the earth and from every time and place in a glorious resurrection in the new heavens and the new earth where we will have perfect fellowship with our God and Savior. Let's pray together. God, we thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for what you purpose before the beginning of time, you will bring to pass. We thank you that you deal with sin, even in its most grievous quality and nature. Yes, in judgment, but ultimately you pour out your judgment upon your own very own son who took our sin upon his own body on the cross and was raised from the dead and ascended to heaven that we might have fellowship with you and be filled with your spirit now and today. So fill us with that hope, the future and the hope that you call us to embrace. And may that hope sustain us to be faithful disciples as we live out the rest of our lives here in this place and beyond. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.